My name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 131 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks! Hooray! <laughs> Today, we are joined by two professors. Am I correct in this? You are. Indeed, Yay. yes. We're joined with the two... Um, Two curators, would we call you guys? Or cu- yes. the curators of the yes. Adolescentia Project with yes. Mary Beth and Carrie. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Josh, you're so smooth Hello. at these intros, man. I know, you know, <laughs> intros and transitions, that's my thing. I don't know if you're aware, Liam. That's that's kind of what I'm good at. So, uh, yeah, we're so glad that y'all could join us. And today we're going to be talking about two movies that y'all picked that uh, were important to you when you were 14, which is connected mm-hmm. to the Adolescentia Project. Could I don't know. I don't want to call on one of you, but would one of you prefer <laughs> to tell us a little bit about the Adolescentia Project for the listeners who don't know what it is? Um, I can jump in. Hello, I'm Mary Beth, and I am a professor um, and co-curator of Adolescentia with Carrie. Um, so the project Adolescentia documents the albums we just absolutely loved when we were 14 years old. Uh, it's two parts. It's one, a multimedia digital oral history archive that you can find on our website, adolescentiaproject.com, and on Instagram, at adolescentia underscore. And the second part is In the Works, is a companion book that includes essays um, on albums as well. So both the archive and the book collect um, these very reflective essays on albums we loved. And each entry, um, you know, focuses on whatever contributor, uh, whatever the contributor picked, um, whatever album kind of helped them discover who who they were, who they wanted to be, kind of find that person. I'm rambling a bit, uh, so I might turn it over to Carrie. Oh, that's (laughs) awesome. Okay. Well, I'll guess quickly say that each digital archive entry um, that you can find on Instagram has a picture of the person at 14, um, the album cover that they've picked and kind of a kind of just a short reflection on why it was meaningful Um, and the book of course is kind of extended essays on the album of choice Um, and we are still accepting submissions on the archive so for any folks out there who might be interested you might have an album you are absolutely enamored with when you are 14 years old Um, you can certainly share that with us and on our Instagram account you can see us posting albums twice a week uh, on Wednesdays and Fridays and um you know, uh, we have a few exciting albums that are up next, as uh, Josh and Liam know. Hooray! Well, I mean, I so think wait, why did? Go ahead, Josh. Oh, go ahead, Liam. I was okay. going to say probably the first question that listeners have is what albums that you two would pick, and then I'm sure Josh has a question about why you started the project. Did I predict that correctly, Josh? No, no, you did not. Incorrect. Ah, dang it. Dang it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I was just actually wondering why you picked 14. Oh yeah, good call. Aged. Good call. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good call. Um, We had to think (laughs) about it quite a bit. Uh, And it turns out that 14 years old is smack in the middle of adolescence, if you look to the academic literature. Um, So that was a start. Uh, But really, what I think is interesting about 14, and uh, Carrie can tell you a little bit more, is that it's that like very, very tender time of finding yourself where you're just finishing junior high and you're getting ready to go to high school. You're like starting your freshman year of high school and trying to figure out kind of who you are and who you want to be and um, what 
is meaningful to you in terms of kind of like identity exploration and things like that, um, it's a tender time. Uh, so that's one thing. Yeah. Carrie, do you have anything to add? I want you to jump in. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Yeah. And that was a very eloquent sort of summary of, of what adolescentia is. It's, I mean, this is very, we very much look at it as love letters to our 14 year old selves because that's a really tender time in your life, but it's also a really awkward time in your life. Right. I mean, you're, you're entering high school, which is such a formative period and you're entering with such great, I think, sort of social uncertainty physical uncertainty because you know you're you're smack in the middle of adolescence you're looking at all these kids that are seemingly so much older than you even though they're only three or four years older and you're trying to figure out where in this sort of like pseudo adulthood you fit and I think music really helps in that transition so that's part of the reason why 14 was so important to us perfect and I'm gonna add one more thing Sorry about that. Uh, I was just thinking, you know, uh, one of the things we can talk about when we talk about the albums that we have chosen um, is that this is a tender time. It's an awkward time. You're trying to figure a lot of things out about who you are and who you want to be. But also, I think there's a part of that album or that record or that feeling that's still with you today. So like the, Mm -hmm. um, just the act of looking back and trying to think about, well, how did you get to where you are now? What, like, how did these albums give you the confidence to get to where you are now? And what are you like Mm -hmm. still holding onto? Like what is remaining with you from that record? Yeah, I love that so much. It's so cool. This project is so, so cool. If I can just say. Thank you. Thank you. Like, I don't, I honestly don't know how I came to it. I think I just, I think maybe through Richie or like one of our mutual friends or, um, or maybe it was, um, the one guy who was in, uh, I hate you. Oh, John. One of those submitted the, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the, yeah, I think that Mm -hmm. might've been it, but, um, I just think it's such a cool project for sure. Like it's, it really does speak to a very soft and tender humanity. That I think you have to be like a music person for that to make any sense. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like for that to resonate. But for, uh, and like, I wonder, like, do 14 year old kids that played soccer and wear those like blue windbreaker jackets, like, do they (laughs) care about like, remember those dudes? Like those guys were, didn't, they like bad music. I know. I know that. (laughs) But it's like, do they think about like, you know what I mean? Like, did those, did those people like, well, you know, I know I'm wildly popular and on top of that athletic and probably not fat at all. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I really think that this record means a lot to me. Like, you know, it's a thing. I don't know. I'm going to say I know. Did they need, I'm like, like, no, Carrie, go ahead. No, I'm just, just going to say like, yeah, I mean, Josh is like, so right. It's, I mean, did those, did those folks need, need a record or need yeah. music or need their headphones right. while they were walking through the hallways to like, she has armor to like sort of shield themselves from, exactly. you know, the taunts and the abuse and <laughs> not to get dark, but you know, like, did they need sort of music to help them sort of usher through this time? Or did they have like, mm. you know, all these, these other outlets. I don't this know. is one of the things though, where like every place and every time is different though, because mm-hmm. like the description you just gave Josh for you is like, oh, I'm describing jocks who probably didn't care about music. But like the soccer players of my school were all obsessive Oasis fans. 
like the whole team they warmed up to oasis like that like i associate oasis with soccer like they are one and the same in my brain because that's how it was in high school and like the same way that like the wrestlers all love the grateful dead and they had grateful dead tattoos except for my friend bill who was a hardcore dude and is still a hardcore dude but he was like the one freaky guy on the wrestling team that they all made fun of while they wore their grateful dead shirts like it, it it's every school has its own environment i mean when i got to college and i met kids who were like the scary kids at their school like they were the freaks and they liked radio rock in my mind because i was going to hardcore punk shows so like they were like yo the kids beat me up because i liked rage against the machine and i'm like that's football player music what are you talking about like i i everyone had their own experience Mm -hmm. of a thing and it's so and, and it really took me a long time to like adjust to that that like your geography and your like the the, the difference between me graduating in 1997, right, and mm-hmm. people I knew later who maybe graduated in, like, 2000. It was only, like, a three-year difference. But our experiences were so far apart that, like, it, it felt like there was a gas, like, like a chasm between uh, what we went through in high school. But, you know, it's all kind of part of the same time. It's, it's a very mm-hmm. weird thing. Wait, is the chasm, like, tied up in the experience of, like, like I don't know, like, what was – trending in, like I, I musically at that time like i think it, that's like, probably part of it yeah. yeah or something like that because i don't know i'm thinking of like so many things because in high school i was on the tennis team and like my friends on the tennis team and i i like really you know loved certain kinds of music um and like traded fanzines and you know participated in uh, independent culture that say I didn't see happening in the other sports team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then I'm but then I'm like thinking about we just put one of the last albums we just posted was uh, Nirvana's In Utero. Sure, and right. the whole reflection is very tied up into this, you know, this kid being on um, the basketball team and like feeling like he was not fitting in because, you know, he was really interested in, in Nirvana and um, alternative rock and, and that kind of thing. And that making him feel more of an out like more of an outlier. Um, but there's just so many factors that influence this. It's wild. I mean, when mm-hmm. I was in high school, I played volleyball. Right. And nice. Josh uh he grew up at a high school not far from me but we didn't really know each other super well uh at that time but i know that the volleyball team from his high school were like preppy jocks and the volleyball team at my school had three skinheads on it and they would like we would play volleyball to like coxbar in the business and that was like <laughs> not a thing that was happening at other schools but like every school had its own weird stuff going yeah. on and and you know i you know the first time i even heard of some like oi and punk bands was at volleyball practice you know so that was weird Liam, you went to high school in New Jersey also. Yes, Collingswood, New Jersey. Collingswood, interesting. Yes. And I'm from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. So I went to high school at Cherry Hill East. I'm from Woodbury, New Jersey. Oh, sure, (laughs) sure. Not far from Collingswood. Um, But I did not go to Woodbury High School. I went to Gloucester Catholic High School. I mean, Cherry Hill East, Like, not that we should stay too long on volleyball, because I want to hear about your guys' choices for your albums, but <laughs> Cherry, Cherry Hill East's volleyball team had people on it that had done like the Junior Olympics and stuff. And my volleyball team was like, 
not that you know like we were just like goofballs like like weirdos you know what i mean and so uh it, it's like every place i mean this is one of the weird things with like me and josh have similar experiences at like shows but like josh your high school was nice and my high school people got stabbed you know what i mean like it was just a different thing uh but but we were like easily driving distance from each other like we were basically mm-hmm. from the same area in comparison to other parts of the country I can guarantee you, though, that none of the Cherry Hill High School East volleyball players of 1995 have ever heard of Fugazi, so they can also true, true, true. fucking shut the fuck up. Man, all those dudes were the wackest. They all right. look like models. <laughs> what are you guys? In J. Crew, Lands End models. That's what they all looked like to me, man. I hated those dudes. Oh. And they pick on you. Like, who's going to see a kid wearing a t-shirt that says the dead milkman on it? And then be like, yo, who killed the, the milkman? And then think that's funny. Are you kidding me? Like, and I'm 43 goddamn years old. And that shit still makes me so frothy at the mouth angry when I think about it. Could you just imagine, though, like seeing someone in a hallway and being like, bro, I hear oh, you. Yeah. Oh, He's with sweet us. Baby Jesus. Mm-hmm. The, the, honestly, that that was my freshman experience. But. And Josh, we've talked about this before, but just so you guys know, by my senior year, all the dudes who got me into straight edge hardcore had all broken edge and were now the most popular <laughs> weed sellers in the school. So suddenly, like being into hardcore was cool by my senior year because these dudes were into hardcore and they sold everyone their weed and and forties too because there was a place in Camden that would sell alcohol to anyone. So we would drive the five minutes over the border and get. I mean, I wouldn't because I was straight edge and I was into youth group stuff because I was a Jesus kid. But uh, these dudes, they would like sell booze and weed to everyone. So like the, you know, all these kids that like I would assume would be mean to me were like, oh, you go to shows? That seems cool. And I'm like, it does? It's cool? Are you sure? Like what? Oh, man. I just had a really wild memory, too. Can I just recount this memory for for everyone right now? Okay, then we can move on. Yeah, I, uh, you know, and it's funny because it was like one of those, I'll never forget, it was sophomore year, and I was in a photography class with a young lady who had boasted that she had over 20 bootleg recordings of the Smiths, which at the time, I was horrifically obsessed with Morrissey and everything Morrissey related, and she gave me so much attitude Attitude, that's what I'll say it was, because that's what it was. And she was <laughs> like, well, I have 22 bootlegs of the Smiths all throughout Europe, so, uh, you know, uh, it's cute that you like Morrissey. It's like, oh, hell no, really? Word? That's how we're going to play this game? And it was like shine from both sides, you know what I'm saying? Like the Grateful Dead kids that played volleyball and then like these weird, you know, headband girls that liked Morrissey. Like no love, no love for Joey, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Uh, Josh, had a, you had it rough, my man. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm staying, man. It just, you know, <laughs> it's one well, of those things where it's like, I don't really know how I had any other choice but to end up to where I did. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, here's a bunch of guys that can probably not defend themselves physically, but know how to play really fast and loud music. Like, yeah. Okay. That sounds like my demo. Here we are. All right. Well, let's go to y'all. Uh, <laughs> Carrie, what what did you pick a re- what 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 what's your fourteen year old album that you picked? The Smashing Pumpkins, uh, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that thing was like a financial investment because it was a double album. 
That was like a couple weeks worth of allowance to save up it ahead of its release date to grab. But yeah, that was mine. That was mine. Came out when I was 14. And I just was, I was just obsessed with Billy Corgan. I don't know. Looking back on it, I don't know why, <laughs> but I was, re- I was just really obsessed with how epic the album felt at 14. You know, it just felt so melodramatic and so overwrought. And he was just so weird and awkward to me in, in a way right. that felt really familiar. Um, so th- yeah, that, that album made, definitely made my adolescence and has sort of traveled with me through the next, you know, 25 or whatever years it's been. Um, I still listen to it almost on a daily basis. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It is commitment. I don't know. It's like that album feels like family to me, you know, like like if you think about music as being like either friends or family, you know, some like some shit is just like your friend and like it's with you for the moment or it's with you for a season. And then it just kind of moves on and you move on from it. And then some music just stays with you like a family member would. And for whatever reason, like flaws and all, like melancholy has stayed with me. Hmm. It's family. I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. I think that's really interesting. Mary Beth, how about you? Uh, sure. Yeah. My album at 14 was uh, the band Helium, their first EP, Pirate Prude. Hmm. Um, I first saw the... Uh, the music video on 120 Minutes. Thurston Moore from Sonic Youth was hosting 120 Minutes and the music video for XXX came on and I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. Who is this woman? I love her. Um, (laughs) And quickly became like very devoted to most every single thing Helium has ever done. Um, and still that's Mary Timothy, right? Is it- yeah. And still mm-hmm. that's so yeah. Mary Timothy. Yeah. Helium were uh, her band when she was in Boston. Uh, and uh, I still really love uh, everything she's done. But at that time, that EP is, um, you know, it felt awkward in the best way. Like awkward. it was expressing something really awkward and uncomfortable. She talked a lot about the experience of being in your body Um being in your body as a woman um, and feeling um, uh, and like these feelings of discomfort, I think were really beautifully articulated in that album. Um, I don't think it's like the most accessible thing they've ever done, but I think it is for me and especially for me as an adolescent and a teen at that time was really powerful. Um, Like I, I was really involved in like Riot Girl and very interested in those bands that were associated with that culture um, and like spent a lot of time writing zines and was really interested in kind of breaking away from more mass culture, like popular culture and that kind of thing. But there was something about that album, Pirate Prude, that felt very much like finding myself um, and that it's, I mean, I don't listen to it every day. I, you know, I listen to it every once in a while, but I still go back and feel that it is like so incredibly powerful. And I still picture her in that video, um, in the subway, she's like underground in the subway, um, just destroying her guitar with that like wild bendy solo. I just thought she was a complete badass and, um, 
looked up so to her. Cool. Love that. Is it? Is she still in a band now? She's in a current band, isn't she? Yeah, she. Is well, she? she she's in a band called X Hex, um, but I don't uh, think released anything recently. What is what she does have going on is a re-release of her first solo album, Mountains. Um, a beautiful, beautiful re-release they ju- uh, that she just put out. Um, that that album, if Adolescentia was about being 21, I would have written about that album. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Is, it, no. is she in Hammered Hulls? Is she in that band? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She is. Yeah, she's in that band with, uh, with friend of the with, show, Mr. Chris yeah. Wilson. Oh, sure. That's awesome. Yes. That record rules. I don't know if you've had a yeah. chance to listen to it, but I find yeah. it so lovely. I love it love so it. much. Love it. Yes. Now, Josh, do you want to reveal yours or do you want to wait till it comes out on the on the thing? Um, I mean, I don't know. It's uh, uh, how about this? I'll reveal it. Why don't you go first, Liam? Oh. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So, mine was mine was real hard to choose, you know, I I really didn't uh, I really didn't like much that I now think is cool until I was a sophomore and I was 14 my freshman year. And that was my most awkward year where I was in transition and like yes. things happened to me my freshman year. Like I was given things, but I didn't really come to appreciate them in that year. You know, if, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So like yeah. I, I told the story to Josh yeah. a few times of like someone giving me a mixtape of crass songs my freshman year, but I didn't really like it. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. cool, man. But it took a while for it to like sink in. So at the time I was mostly listening to like, like, sort of like grunge stuff or stuff I liked in middle school. And the, the album I ended up picking was uh, Living Color Vivid. Uh, oh, so good. So it, good. It was the yeah, perfect so bridge for me from what I had been growing up with mostly, which was hip-hop, into more guitar-based music, but not like heavy metal. Because I, you know, there were a couple of like heavy metal bands I kind of liked when I was a kid, but mostly I found it kind of off-putting or hard to access uh even stuff that i grew to like as a as an adult when i heard it and i was 13 or 14 it was just weird to me i didn't i didn't get it but something about living color um really appealed to me and it stuck with me and it was literally the only thing i could think of that i knew i was obsessed with when i was 14 that i could still put on right now and be like oh this shit's good like i I, it's (laughs) it's just it's still good and it i think thematically really worked for me because so much of the of the rap i liked when i was in listening to a lot of rap was more political was more angry Mm -hmm. stuff and that had that kind of urban anger vibe while still having like you know riffs and licks and stuff you know and so that was that was mm-hmm. interesting to me it really sort of uh it spoke to me in in a way and, and it was good it kind of primed me in a way for when i finally started paying attention to the lyrics of some of the punk that friends were making mixtapes for me i noticed that some of that stuff was super political and had some of the same ideas or or similar ideas at least that i was hearing about on vivid nice. so good i think i still know all the words to that record <laughs> yeah, I, so I I know most of them as well. Yes, especially that the landlord's song still kind of makes me cry a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. That you could tear a building down, but you can't erase can't a memory. That's a memory. Oh, 
But dude, what about the body glove suit, the the surf suit that that dude wore in the video for a cult of personality? I one hundred percent flirted with that idea. I thought about that. Thoroughly really confused. Did. I was like, wait a minute, they're not surfing though. Why is he wearing that? And it blew I, my mind. Okay, but in '89, that felt like a vaguely SoCal punk thing. Like, like it, it, it sort of said, like, yo, I hang out on the street in Venice. You know what I mean? Like, it had, like, a weird, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It, it felt at the time to be edgy and not just weird. So cool. I remember that band also had the big problem with the TV show in Living Color. And, like, yep. there was, like, yes. a lawsuit oh. and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, it was brutal. I remember that stuff. Man, I just so on, on another podcast I like they were just today talking about the uh, show in New York that was uh, Bad Brains, Circle Jerks, um, and uh, Living Color on a show together. What? Yeah, no. sick, sick lineup. Oh my god! Wow. Yeah. No, my fourteen-year-old record that I had uh, that will be presented with the Adolescentia Project is um Ned's Tank Dustbin's Godfather. Yes. And um it yeah. was it's like Liam saying how like that Living Color was the perfect bridge between aggressive hip hop and then like the punk to come. Um for me, like it's weird. Whenever you talk to people that end up in hardcore in like their later high school, early college years, it's always like, oh well I listened to metal and then I started listening to lyrics. I'm like, oh okay, so I get it. You you know you evolved in some way and started not singing about corpse grinding or whatever, you know? But for me, (laughs) I don't know how it happened, but I started with like the weird British music. So like Morrissey and the Smiths was the intro. And then there was like, uh, I started getting into like really like, I was listening to a lot of like trash can Sinatra's bands like that. Gene, um, just really like mellow bands. And I was like, you know, I'm pretty sure there's like a way to be a little bit less mellow, but still cool. <laughs> and then I got the Ned's Atomic Dustman record. I'll never forget it. I got it at the wall. Yes. <laughs> sure, <laughs> In sure. the Morristown yes. Mall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it came with a t-shirt that just said Godfather across the front <laughs> six times. And I was like, this is so cool. And I get a shirt. Okay, let's do this. <laughs> And uh, it was the video for Graycell Green that was, like, weird and tie-dyed and still, like, British. But, like, it was just – it blew my mind. I was like, I don't understand why there are two bass players here, but let's go with this. This seems interesting. And then I got the record and the T-shirt. And um, I wore both both the record and the T-shirt until they were nothing but ash and pulp at the end. It was one of those, like – and it was funny, too, because, like, right around that time – uh, my friend Mimi Robio gave me a tape that had Fugazi 13 songs on one side and Morrissey Kill Uncle on the other. And that's the perfect nexus of where exactly my musical taste sits now. <laughs> and like mix the Ned's Atomic Dustbin in there at the same time. And it's like, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. You're going to be a weird old dude. That's where that started. Josh, that's and- so funny because my freshman year I got a tape like as I was graduating, someone handed me a tape that was 13 songs on one side and Blood, Sweat, and No Tears on the other side. And that, that was pretty indicative for where I was headed as well. Yeah, no, that's about right. The track's completely, unfortunately. Stop. Yeah, but no, I hear <laughs> Yeah, dude. That's the Dustman, though. Oh, my goodness. It's so perfect. Like, what a weirdo band. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. And then someone was like, oh, yeah, that's a scene in England. And it's called like Grebo. 
like, what the hell is Grebo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I looked further into it. So I found bands like Carter, the Unstoppable Sex Machine and the new Automatic Daffodils and like all that weird stuff. And none of them are good. Mm -hmm. None of them are good. Mm -hmm. I will say that maybe like Carter's listenable and um, some people count Jesus Jones in there. And I still listen to Liquidizer by Jesus Jones. Like I still think Mm -hmm. that's like a very good and viable record. But um, man, the, the rest of that weird ephemera that happened at that same time is just so tinged by that time that it doesn't sound at all good now. <laughs> it was like a time and a place, you know? What I mean? Sure. Yeah. But mm-hmm. that's how Dustin, yeah. though, man. Do you guys get down with that record? Do you like this band? Yeah. No? Is I, I oh. mean, it's cool if you don't. I'm just curious. Like, I it was one of those things where I like, that band. I never yeah, did either. Yeah, you know, one of the things, like, I would. I was uh, thinking about for the whacking on track, um, the like what I've been listening to lately, I often get caught up in whatever album we're posting, particularly if it's during Mm -hmm. a specific time that was meaningful for myself, you know, Uh, so that timeline kind of works out with the 90s uh, release. So I'm sure I'm going to listen to it when we post it on Friday, Josh. (laughs) Again, no pressure to like it. But it's so funny because it's like that record has so many weird like key changes and weird tempo changes throughout the Mm -hmm. songs. And like, you know, I like to fancy myself as a bit of a musician. So that was like very compelling to me at the time. Mm -hmm. But also like their live footage... And like all the, cause like right around the time that that record came out, they put out a concert video called nothing is cool. Mm-hmm. And um, just watching them like go through recording a record and being weirdo teenagers with the sides of their head shaved and like all this flannel, it was like so crazy. But then there's one scene where um, they did a song that was on the previous record, which is called bite. And uh, the singer, he goes, Manchester so much to learn. And I just thought about that so much for like a year. Like, man, this dude, like, he likes being from home, but he thinks that there's still so much about his home that has to be learned or that they have to learn. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's so cool, man. And nothing is cool. Oh, my hand. Yeah. It blew my mind right out of the back of my teenage head. It was it was one of the most poignant things in my life. Well, I we awesome. we've yeah. we're, we're already at a half hour. We haven't even gotten to whack it on track yet, so we should probably <laughs> get moving here. We'll do a real quick uh, uh, big thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon. Thank you for uh, making this episode possible. We also want to thank our sponsors, uh, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Head on over to xlvacx.com for all your screen printing needs, and of course, X S Six Coffee Roasters, uh, who offer some of the best coffee uh, on the internet. Head on over uh, to EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. Use the code CINEPUNKS, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, on uh, checkout, and you'll get 10% off your order. The coffee's really good. I hear all the time from people who did it, really just because we asked them to, and then are like, oh, wait, this coffee's good. Yeah, it's good coffee. We didn't just do it because we know Aaron. We also think the coffee is good. That's that's kind of the point. So go get some coffee. You're, you're going to appreciate it. Okay, good. Sponsor's done. That was good. Good, good, good. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I just, I'm like, it's already been a half hour and I want to make sure we spend time. There's a lot to talk about, I think, with our two movies, which we haven't said yet are Train Spotting and Clue. So I'm excited oh to talk yeah. about those. But before that, we have to, we have to, Josh, do our segment that we do every week. And yet we always seem to forget the name of it. What is it called again? We've done it 130 times up until this point, Liam. Yeah, we shouldn't have a hard time remembering it it's, right now. Uh, it's, they kind of rhyme. 
It's like uh, <laughs> it's like cutie and booty, isn't that it? Cutie and booty, no? Exactly. That's it for the next segment. Cutie and booty. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's uh, I believe it's called <gasps> whack it, it on track. track. <laughs> it's so hard to do this not live. It's so much easier yeah. in the it's same room. So much more fun in the same room. But um, uh, yeah, you know, we have an editor, so he'll, he'll line it up. It'll sound like we come did. Come on, Jacob, make it sound pretty, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mary Beth, Carrie, what have you done recently that is whack? Bad, bad. Or what have you done recently that is on track? Good. So I was thinking, you know, about the whack and on track, and I have some on track things uh, that I wanted to share. Um, there are two films that uh, I've seen recently that I wanted to bring up. And the first is the Milford Graves documentary. Has anyone seen that? Bo Mantis. So a friend recommended it to me, which was great because in this pandemic, I have gone pretty hard on like binge watching comfort things. Mm -hmm. So working to break out of that. Um, But so, yeah, Milford Graves documentary called Full Mantis. Um, He was a jazz percussionist who passed away just this February. And the documentary is I really enjoyed it. It has some super cool old like archival footage like throughout his very long standing career. Um, and the way it's presented, I thought was really interesting because it didn't strike me as like a traditional feature film. Um, I read a review of it that kind of said it resembled more visual poetry. And I think like after watching it, that made a lot of sense to me. It's almost like this like beautiful collage of his body of work um so it was really awesome to be able to learn about him um and his music and it's called full mantis and graves talks a lot about going full mantis and now after watching it that is something i officially strive for so if you're interested (laughs) in possibly going full mantis i think you should totally watch it um full mantis full mantis it It sounds awesome (laughs) um But the other thing I watched recently was, um, this is a kind of Philly connection, but Concrete Cowboy. Uh, Oh, the new Edis Elba movie. Yeah. um, Oh, my gosh. It's like heavy and heartbreaking, but it's done so well. And it's such an excellent story. I'm so glad it's told. And I love the Philly connection to, you know, the Philadelphia history. And it focuses on the Philly black cowboys. I'm just going to keep saying Philly, Philly, Philly. Um, (laughs) No. And I thought one of the coolest parts about actually that, that documentary or that film was they actually included some of the like real life Philly black cowboys. And at the end they interviewed them a bit. And I just wanted, I want to see now a second version of this film where it's just an entire documentary with those conversations. I agree. I agree. Yeah. They filmed it in Philadelphia though. Didn't they in part at least? I thought they did. Yeah. I think so. Cause yeah. I know that they were on Poplar street and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I believe when they were filming this, like Idris Elba was in Philadelphia and that's when we found out that he was like a dance DJ in England when he's not being an attractive actor, man. Really? <laughs> we were like, wait a minute. What? This guy's a DJ too. Okay. It's like, man. Yeah. 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 Apparently he's a DJ. Who knew? Just saying. Ooh, not me. Same. So yeah. thank you. <laughs> But uh, I, I have a couple of music-y things, but um, Carrie. Yeah, bring it. I don't no. want to 
Or should I talk about music-y things, too? Of course. <laughs> um, anything you want to talk about. Okay. Well, music-wise, like I was saying, I often get really caught up in the Adolescentia posts, like whatever album we're putting out. But um, I am pretty stoked on Bachelor Band, the new collaboration by... Um, between Melina from Jason and Ellen from Palehound. I love both of those bands so much, and I'm excited they're writing together. Uh, they have two singles out called Stay in the Car um, and Anything at All. So if you are fans of Jason and Palehound, um, you're into the indie rock jams, I would definitely recommend it. Um, but also, uh, my buddies wasn't wizent. Um, the Philly kind of indie off kilter magic weirdos just put out an album uh, on already dead tapes and records called disassembling. And it's super fun. I love everything they put out uh, and you should definitely check them out. Awesome. Carrie, how about Very you? Good. Oh, well, um, my husband and I are new parents. So the idea of watching like a full length movie seems so so foreign it seems like something that we did I, such a long time ago i feel you i feel <laughs> Do you, you feel that like like we don't have like the mental emotional or like physical stamina at the end of the day to put on something that's more than 45 minutes long so we watch a lot of like shitty episodic television like we're like big like reality tv people and so i won't like I won't even I won't regale you with stories of 90 Day Fiance, <laughs> though. Like, let, I just I highly recommend that entire body of work, especially during a pandemic when like you don't want to think, and you just want something just comforting. For some reason, that show is is very comforting. I don't know. We just watched the HBO documentary Q into the Storm. Oh my god! Is that so did, I. did oh you guys god. watch that? Yes. I don't know. We haven't it watched was... the last episode. So I'm, I don't know who I'm Q up is. To the end. I'm up to the end. I'm not there you, yet. Okay. We're, it was recommended to me and it just sounds too much. It sounds too much. I can't. I can't right now. I can't. It's, you know, it's too it's, much. I feel like I'm connecting to what Josh is saying. I, I feel that. <laughs> it's, I don't know. The, the, the documentary is great. Like they, it's, it, you know, it's very straightforward. Like it's very compelling. I think they did their due diligence. Like it's a really well-researched piece, but oh my God, I, like Q is Slenderman for like dumb adults. Like that's all it is. Wow. And so, you know, watching, I don't know, watching people interact with like 4chan and 8chan and, you know, just like the cesspool of the internet and right. the engineers behind it. It's just, oh, it's just kind of sickening. So I don't know if I, I don't know if I would recommend it or not. I don't know if it's working or if it's on track or not, I, but, like, I mean, here, but we here, watched it. Here's the thing. It, the reality is gross whether you watch mm -hmm. the doc or not. So to it's me, so I'd rather watch it and know about it. Um, mm -hmm. And and it's not gross like how gross it could be. You know what I mean? Like, but mm -hmm. it is still depressing as hell. It's you know? so it's depressing. So, it's even more depressing because basically, I haven't watched the last episode yet, but basically one of the people featured admits to mostly being Q, whether he was Q the whole time or not. I don't know, but he admits to sometimes being Q. And the response from Q people is to go, mm, that doesn't seem believable. Like for the most part, <laughs> they don't give a shit. Exactly. They're, they're convinced that they're right no matter what he said. And that to me is even more depressing it's so depressing at this point i don't even give a shit about who q is right. I, because you know once q is revealed or it, people either reject that wholesale or they'll just move on to the next like bullshit conspiracy theory that aligns with 
whatever belief system they decided makes them feel better about the right. world. I don't know. I just, yeah. I, I, I find it just so, I don't know. Every time we put it on, like within the first five or 10 minutes, one of us is going, Oh, come on. Like, this is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> what is going on? So we've been getting, so it's like, I don't know. We've been, I guess we've been hate watching it. Um, sure. So there's, so there's that. So there's that plus 90 day fiance. And then, you know, bed by nine 30. So that's been really good. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, music wise, I don't know. It's, you know, like, it, like being a parent that's into, I guess, like louder or like heavy music is, is hard. Like you, like I now have to find like, like squirrel time away for myself to like really listen to stuff that like I would listen to just like during the day, like while I was doing housework or while I was working. And now it's, you know, it's like, oh, I better put on Sesame Street instead um, because that seems a lot more palatable. Um, but my husband got me um, uh, iPod earbud in-ear iPod buds, the buds, the white ones. I don't right. know what they're called. Yeah. And AirPod. Ear pods? Are you Air sure? Air Are you sure? AirPods? Earpods? AirPods. Josh thinks he's bad at technology. Just I, I'm just saying. I think that's what they're called. Just, I, I think they are called AirPods. I, okay, you let's know. call them. We Air are Split. all so old right now. This is the oldest <laughs> this podcast has ever seen. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. So sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. My apologies. I mean, I I can't help. I have the Raycons, so okay. I, I, I don't know what's going on oh, in the man. Apple world. That's not my world. I don't. I don't know. I know you guys mentioned Twitch earlier, and I was like, what is Twitch? Um. So- <laughs> so there's that um but he got me in ear AirPod buds they're white and um so now when i'm putting you know my son to bed i can like i can listen to music so it's it's been a little bit easier but you know it's it's one of those things where like mary beth said like during the pandemic you're you know i've we've sought out like so much sort of comfort media and we like with the adolescent project it's you know we've been kind of stuck in like this this not stuck i mean like like gleefully reveling in nostalgia from the nineties and the early two thousands. And and I do the same thing Mary Beth does. Like I try to immerse myself in the records that we, um, that we post every week. So that's been really cool and really rewarding. And I've discovered new stuff through that and through, you know, our Monday stories and all that good stuff. But usually when I'm sort of at that point where I need something new to listen to, um, I usually go to, um, to Sergeant house records um, it's run by this woman, Kathy Pellow, and they have some really interesting, um, progressive sort of like, you know, heavier bands. I mean, a lot of like noise rock and post rock. They have some really interesting bands and artists that are like, you know, female fronted or female led like Brutus. Um, Chelsea Wolf is on there and I love her. Emma Ruth Rundle does some really interesting things with um, a post black metal band called Val. Yeah. Um, that I really like. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I love the Emma Ruth Rundle solo records. Those records are amazing. I love those too. Yeah, I think she's great. So good. Yeah, and so yeah, that's been like a gateway for me. And so you know, as for the past couple of years, when I need something new to listen to, I just kind of go through that catalog. Like I just go to that roster, and I'm like, okay, I've read a little bit about this band. Like, let me give it a go. Um, so that's been that's been really rewarding. Um, my husband is really into hip hop. And he's introduced me to Griselda Records, which is Buffalo based, uh, which is where we live right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so we've been listening to like a lot of West Side Gun and Boldy. I love Boldy James's voice. He's from Detroit, I think. 
Um, but he has such, I mean, he has such like a deep voice and such an interesting cadence. It sounds a lot like the nineties hip hop that we loved when we were growing up. And it has the same elements, especially the like amazing, really complex storytelling. Right. So I've really, you know, I've really been enjoying that as well. So anything on Griselda um, is usually a winner and, and anything that Sergeant House puts out is usually a winner for me too. So that's kind of what I've been steeped in lately. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Josh, I'm going to go really quick because I know you'll probably yeah. have more things than me. Um, uh, the new Serpent with Feet album is out. Like It was just singles before, but now the full length is out. And I love Serpent with Feet. And the record is really good and really haunting. Um, and I've been listening to it a lot. Um, I watched, and I think you watched this too, Josh, uh, Rose Plays Julie. Oh, my God. I watched it. Yeah. It's so heavy. That's a Ugh. straight up, y'all. That's a movie to only watch if you feel emotionally girded. It is a, mm. it's it's well done. It's not a, an exploitation sort of deal. It's very much like a serious drama, uh, but it's so heavy. It is so much to carry, and uh, I was very sad when it was over. Um, yeah. it really put did me. Did you in a watch place. Violation? Did you watch? I did watch Violation. I think we talked about it on the last episode, Violation. Yeah, so you watched Violation and Rose Plays Julie in the same week? Uh, I mean, one week off, but yeah, basically. Fuck that, dude. Really? I think they're very different, though. Violation is very much on the same I guess. I I felt very different things for Rose Plays Julie than I did for Violation. I think they're different kind of... I think Rose Plays Julie, you don't have to be into horror to like it. Like, I think... It can play for anyone who is comfortable with something that's very dramatic and very intense, but it's certainly um, it's certainly emotionally taxing. So uh, if yeah, you're not ready for, for sure. It, uh, I watched the documentary "A Glitch in the Matrix." Um, oh yeah, a lot really weird. It got a lot of negative pushback. I get so this is the gentleman who did Room Two Three Seven, and mm-hmm. I kept seeing people online say, "Well, I prefer Room Two Three Seven because it feels like he's taking the subject more seriously." Uh, mm-hmm. And I feel like all those people didn't understand the movie Room Two Three Seven, which is about yeah. how all the people he's featuring in the documentary are crazy people, and he mm-hmm. doesn't believe anything they're saying. Um, I I think he made that more explicit with this documentary, but both documentaries are not about the subject. They're about the fact that people believe these things, which is insane. interesting. Yeah, it's insane, yeah. basically. Um, so, but I think uh, I think a lot of people I know also suspect that we're living in a simulation. So the fact that this documentary did not take that too seriously, they were really bummed about. And I'm like, every person he finds to talk to, and some of these people are like very respected people within this world are all clearly suffering from a a narcissistic inability to empathize for other humans. Like so much of what they're feeling is I just can't believe that other people are real. And I'm like, well, that's not a good place to start this conversation, buddy. (laughs) Uh, And then speaking of upsetting horror movies, Josh, I watched a movie called Honeydew, which is, um, I didn't finish it. Oh, it's even more upsetting, I think, than uh, Violation no, no, no. in some ways. For me, it, it is, uh, it, just in the imagery, it's it's less real. Uh, violation, if, if people are listening and they didn't hear us talk about it last episode, Violation is 
it's re it feels very real and that's why it's so taxing. Honeydew is ridiculous. It's a ridiculous caricature, but it's so gross as a caricature that it really like got under my skin and made me feel icky for for a while. All of these sound like negative reviews are, and I mean them yeah. as positive <laughs> reviews. Are, are these on track? These are not whack. These are on track. These are all on track, baby. They're all on track. <laughs> and they I mean, made I me feel like the content warning cuz you know. Yeah, yeah. No, that's I'm trying to be, to be in the headspace for this. Oh yeah, that's what I'm trying to make clear to people. Like as we've said on this show many times, that now it's a cliche. Uh, often the movies I love do not love me back, and uh, <laughs> that is that is how I feel about Honeydew for sure. Mm-hmm. Although I will say Honeydew does have a sense, as much as it is gross, there is a sense of fun to it. Like it's being gross mm-hmm. for fun. Um, there's nothing fun about Rose Plays Julie or Violation. <laughs> Those are heavy no. movies that don't believe in fun. Mm-hmm. And that's good. That's appropriate for the subject matter. So I'm glad. Uh, Honeydew is something else entirely. But partly because it's having fun with me, it was more able to make me feel uncomfortable and want to like carve my skin off. Okay. Uh, and fi- finally, <laughs> also on track, I've we've been continuing with our binging of Letterkenny. And um, I continue to think that Letterkenny is even smarter than I first realized. Uh, and I and I just think as the seasons go on, it gets smarter and continues to sort of subtly push on its own assumptions. And I love that. I think it's really great. And I suggest people watch it. That's it. That's my, that's my whacking on track. Go ahead, Josh. Yay. So for me, I don't know if you know. Uh, I think I spoke with Mary Beth about it just because, um, you know. Mary Beth is cool and I can talk to her about stuff like this, but I've been having a fucked up time. It's Very been bad. horrible, y'all. It's been like the worst kind of time. So um, I lost my job in October and uh, I've been collecting unemployment since then. And then like last week I got a letter being like, oh, Temple is grieving your unemployment claim. So then I had to hire a lawyer and then I had to have a hearing on the phone. That's right. And um, my, yeah, and I lost the hearing. So my uh, ruling for unemployment is deemed ineligible. So that was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That happened last week. Can you believe it? And I lived. And then the worst is that I had to go to like a trial. Like I had to call in with my lawyer. And uh, I didn't know that my former manager, who is also my one of my very dear and close friends, had to be a witness for the prosecution. And so he was on the, yeah, it was totally like, I told Leah this. It was like that scene in Night of the Living Dead when Barbara sees her brother come through the door as a zombie. It was like that, like that weird, it felt like someone flushed a toilet in my heart and all the blood just strained out. Yeah, it was awful. So that wasn't good. Awful. Decidedly whack. Not my favorite. Very uh, Very much Yeah. And then last Friday, one of my my friends from New York who is very, uh, very uh, instrumental, let's say, in me being the singer that I am today, passed away from COVID. And that would be uh, Mr. Aww. Robert Vital from the band Black Train Jack, who is like one of my very first favorite, favorite hardcore bands. Yeah. And one of the first people that I ever actually talked to. You know how it is when you start going to shows as a kid and you're like, these people are so old and none of them would ever talk to me. Like that yeah. dude was totally mm-hmm. like, you want to see what the warthog looks like? And he took me on their tour bus and he gave me CDs and all the shit. Like he was always super duper nice to me. And then like, mm-hmm. as I started moving through playing in bands and like doing things, I just kept in touch with him. And I sent him like all the stuff as it was being recorded and so on and so forth. And he would 
listened to it and tell me what he thought about it, which was, it just seemed so insane to me that like a person who, you know, is a singer that I loved, like legitimately loved, you know what I mean? Like that that dude would even take the time to talk to me. And like, he was in the hospital and then like, you know, my friends were telling me like what was going on and I just hadn't heard anything. And then the next thing I heard was that he had passed. And it was like, really? Like word on top of like this, like, bullshit ass hearing like all this stuff is gonna happen today like this is a fucked up friday you know what i'm saying like it just was bad it's been bad but that said i decided to watch an uplifting movie called rose plays julie and let me tell you (laughs) not helpful no no this is another situation where you should have asked me josh because i would have told you to avoid that shit it was one of those things where me and Melani were here, and uh, I was like, well, let's see this. And we watched it, and it was like a bummer. And I was like, man, that sucks. Let me watch something else. And I watched Dancer in the Dark because I was like, you know what? I, I want to see how much further. Yeah, like, let's get some Lars von Trier, Blind Bjork in there, and let's just see what else we can hit on the way down. Oh, my god! And it's just, dude, it's Bro. been fucked. Yeah, I know. I know. Self-flagellation. <laughs> Unnecessary. You, you Unnecessary. just got to watch some Letter Kenny, man. Pull yourself back up. Come on. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. I should definitely. I mean, like, you know, we did watch. I, I w- finally watched the first episode of Invincible on Amazon, so that was fun. And I mean, I like the book, so it was cool watching. You know, superheroes kill each other. That was fun. Um, and I, you know, me and Melanie also watched all the Falcon and Winter Soldier stuff because, you know. Marvel TV shows like that are like carbs, you know what I mean? Like not very mm-hmm. much substance, but a lot of flavor. So let's do that. Let's no, that's a good time. It's like Doritos. Yeah. It's like my favorite it's like Dorito. Day it's like Yeah. There you go. Similar. You just need it sometimes, you know what I'm saying? So that was fun. Um, as far as music, I have been really enjoying this new record by this band called Dry Cleaning, which is like a post punky i think they're an english band the record is called new long leg it's like very like indie rock kind but it's like you know the hold steady have a the guy from the hold steady like talks he doesn't really sing mm-hmm. imagine that but with a, a lady singer over like a british post-wave band hmm. so it's it's i like it a lot and um i've been listening to that and the uh new full-length record by uh mr fimber bravo it's called lunar tread and um, it really does push the limits of what people perceive steel drum music to be. It is <laughs> awesome. It's so cool. It again, it reminds me of a Kanono Number no. One, like that weird Congotronics, like um, augmented indigenous instrumentation kind of thing. It's super fun and it's super chill, but it's also not like it. Like the very first song on the record is called um, "Can't Control We." And it's him saying that. And it's just super fun. I really enjoy it. Highly recommend. Fimber Bravo. Um, yeah, that's that's on track. So those are my on tracks. <laughs> that's that's what so I got. So glad something's on track. I love I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, let's Music take a let's take a quick break, mostly because I gotta go to the bathroom. And then uh, we'll <laughs> we'll come back. We're gonna be talking about uh, movies our guests picked. Uh, Clue. And train spotting, uh, probably one of the strangest double features you could imagine. <laughs> um, but we're going to talk about them uh, as soon as we get back. We'll be right back. Oh, life could be a dream. 
If I could take you up in paradise up above If you would tell me I'm the only one that you love Life could be a dream, sweetheart Hello, hello again Shaboom, and hope we'll meet again Oh, life could be a dream If only all my precious plans would come true If you would let me spend my whole life loving you Life could be a dream, sweetheart Now every time I look at you Something is on my mind If you do what I want you to Baby, we'd be so fine Oh, life could be a dream If I could take you up in paradise up above If you would tell me I'm the only one that you love Life could be a dream, sweetheart behind the Adolescentia Project and we're talking about two movies that you picked because they meant a lot to you in that beautiful adolescent age, right? Yeah. yeah. I think we'll start cro- well, how do you guys want to start? Well, do you want to? I don't. Let's do this though. Who picked what? Who picked what? Yes. I, Mary Beth, hi. I picked Clue, a movie Love I it. was Love it. Um, definitely obsessed with when I was like that age. <laughs> and um me carry me carry um (laughs) there you go i um i I, you know i i went back and forth between train spotting and the keanu reeves vehicle speed Um, (laughs) (laughs) and it was it was a really tough decision and i picked train spotting um i picked train spotting and but speed is a close second, but I picked train spotting, and Let's, I was okay. definitely obsessed with it when I was fourteen. Absolutely. So do yeah. we start with the the sort of like uh, heavy but wry train spotting, or do we go for the uh, ridiculous and fun <laughs> clue? Like, how do we want to start this conversation? It feels like following 
clue with train spotting might be like ending on a kind of a sour note. I don't know. I feel like we want to start with train spotting, but I I don't know what you think. Let's work backwards. We start with train spotting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, and okay. then you know, head back to and not then just right 1985, clue. but 1954. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, so I'm, I'm what's funny that. is what's funny is the episode before this we the the concept that our guest for that show brought up was what is the most '90s movie ever, mm-hmm. and um, you know we experienced adolescentia around the '90s, so it was like kind of like the same like pool that mm-hmm. I was like thinking from. So for that, I picked House Party, okay. which I still yes. adore. Turns out, and um, and Bob picked Wayne's World. Ooh, <laughs> and true. then we did this episode we're like oh Love yeah it. adolescent adolescent movies would be the same time but mm-hmm. um it's funny like i love these movies as much as i love those movies as well turns out mm-hmm. so <laughs> i don't know <laughs> anyway can we start with uh carrie like what what explain what train spotting meant to you before we start talking about how you feel about it now what was train spotting to you then Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, so when I was 14, the the other thing that was kind of happening musically that was really big was Britpop was exploding. So like yeah. Blur, Oasis, Pulp, Elastica, all of those bands were getting a lot of mainstream attention. I mean, they were huge in Britain. And then, you know, like on the American side, like they were, you know, they were, they were niche, but they were, they were big and they got a lot of, you know, a lot of magazine coverage and things like that. And I found myself really attracted particularly to pulp. I really liked pulp, um, different class. And even this is hardcore. I really liked that record too. Um, and so when I found out that all of those artists were on the train spotting soundtrack, I, I think I picked up on the soundtrack before I picked up on the movie. So the soundtrack was kind of like a gateway, you know, same thing with like the crow or something like that. Like, I don't know, like Mm -hmm. the soundtrack in a lot of ways, like kind of preceded the film, but, uh, you know, I, I think at 14, you know, growing up in like suburban Long Island, um, you know, not being exposed to anything even like, like halfway international in any way, shape or form. I was really attracted to just, I guess the, I guess the transgressiveness for transgression's sake is like the best way I can put it. I guess that's why, you know, like at the same time, like I and a bunch of suburban kids were like listening to Nine Inch Nails and then later Marilyn Manson and then later Cradle of Filth and like, you know, all that stuff. It was just like, it was transgressive for like transgression's sake. Like it was, it was edgy because it was edgy and at 14 and sort of like this little suburban bubble, it, that seemed really attractive to me. Um, You know, I was really drawn to the idea that it had like its own language or its own vernacular. So after I watched Train Spotting, I became obsessed with Irvine Welsh's novels and I read all of them, including Train Spotting. And I remember thinking that, you know, part of the attraction was that they all had glossaries in the back of the books. And even <laughs> watching Train Spotting was like kind of like an exercise in like language. And so my friend and I would watch Train Spotting every weekend and we would try to like mimic talking the way like Renton and Spud did. Like we would try to use the same vocabulary, which I mean, we probably sounded like jackasses. Like, no, we definitely sounded like jackasses. <laughs> but, like, like, no question. But that, to me, seemed, like, I don't know, like, as cosmopolitan as I could get my hands on at that point. I think that's why I was attracted to Britpop, too, because it felt really cosmopolitan, because mm-hmm. it was, like, from another country. Um, 
And so I think I think that's why I was so attracted to Trainspotting. I mean, I liked the aesthetic. Like even now, when I see like the old movie poster, like the black and white and the orange typeface, there's something about that aesthetic I really like. Um, you know, the characters seemed edgy. I was really attracted to some version of like urban life. You know, that seemed very far removed from where I where I was living and what I was experiencing at that time. And I mean, it glamorized, a, you know, a, a lifestyle that was so, I mean, so far from not only what I was living, but from what anybody I knew was living. Um, so I think it was, I think it was just like the, like the, that 14 year old, like need to, need to watch something that like your parents feel really uncomfortable about um, <laughs> that, that made me really love it. I remember I went to the mall because I spent a lot of time at the mall because that's what you did on Long Island when you were 14. And I brought home a train spotting poster and it was the one where it kind of looks like a, a good, it looks like the like iconic Goodfellas poster. I think that that's what it was modeled after, but in it, Begbie is grabbing his own crotch. And so, so I'm like, bring this, I bring this poster home to like my dear Italian mother who like has my room like so beautifully wallpapered. And I put it up and she's like, no, <laughs> like, like, what are you not like, no, you can't hang that in my house. And so she made me like, I, like the train spotting banner was like on the bottom of it. And so she made me fold it up so that like, it was just like, you could only see like the top half of the characters and you couldn't see where like Begbie was grabbing himself. And, and then that was fine like and then that was acceptable um so I had I had like a like duct tape just like right across it um to keep it in place and and you know I think that that's really what I think that's what attracted me to it was like that was as like at that point like that was maybe as rebellious as I felt getting as I as I was comfortable getting um and train spotting really em embodied that and yeah yeah I look at it much differently now but yeah I think at 14 I was like this is just badass you know, <laughs> that's funny, yeah. dude. You had to tape up the poster. That is hilarious. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yep. So good. Yep. And yeah. and then afterward, my mom was like, "Okay, it's fine. They're, they're nice looking boys." And I was like, "Okay, cool. Like everybody is happy now." I should have gotten the speed poster. You know. Oh man, so good, so good. I had a RoboCop poster in my room when I was fourteen. But go on. Yeah. <laughs> this shit is amazing. <laughs> Carrie, have so you did... watched that? Oh, sorry, Josh. No, no, no. Okay. I'm just curious as to so is like the way you have a relationship with melancholy and the infinite sadness. Do you have the same kind of like watch it like almost like religiously with this movie? No, I really don't. Um, mm -hmm. and I think you know, I was thinking about this. You know, I was thinking about this a lot because I am so generally nostalgic. Like I am, my taste is kind of stuck in in like my adolescence mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, and train spotting just didn't stay with me. And I, you know, I I think like the, like I'm I'm gonna say stuff that's gonna sound like so obnoxiously American because it's not you know it's not a movie that was made <laughs> for American audiences. It's a book by a Scottish author. It's about very specific British class dynamics, but you know, revisiting it at 38, like as a mom, as someone who's, you know, known somebody who's been addicted to heroin and like has seen like addiction play out and like, which is just like mundane, 
and mm. tragic and not glamorous at all and not cool and not yeah. transgressive, but just kind of sad. Um, you know, I, I think I, it, it, you know, it is, it's not, you know, it, it's not what the movie portrays. And, you know, when it came out, people kept talking, you know, debating about whether or not it glamorized drug use and like, yeah, of course it does, you know, but the reality of that looks so different. You know, as uh, Renton is having sex with an underage girl, like the whole movie, you know, you, you look back on it and you're like, wow, there's really nothing. There's nothing for me to, to latch on to now. And I think that's probably, I think it's a, obviously a good thing <laughs> that I don't identify with the characters in Transpotting now as an adult. But I also was thinking about how, you know, especially, I guess, in the mid-90s, you know, the transgression for transgression's sake was really about a, a rebellion against boredom and stability and the mundane. And I don't know, like, I was thinking a lot about, like, our generation, like, you know, like, young Gen Xers and, and people in Gen Y, like, people in their 30s and 40s. And, like, have we had the luxury of boredom? You know, have like we've lived through, like, 9-11, the 2008 recession, mass shootings, you know, like police, like police brutality, Trumpism. Now we're yeah. living in a pandemic. Like, do we have we had the luxury of being bored and of like seeking out transgression for transgression's sake? Like we're, you know, we're so well versed in like collective trauma and collective grief. I feel like this age group that, you know, for me, it's like, mundanity sounds attractive like maybe that's why i just watch like <laughs> the office and parks and recreation over and over again maybe that's why i like 90 day fiance because i'm like the mundane sounds really great right now <laughs> you know like like as an adult i've seen some shit like i'm fine i don't need train spotting anymore you know like i, I don't know <laughs> like i don't know and, and like that's and it's such an american like it's such an american perspective and like i'd be curious to hear how you know like like British fans yeah. of the movie feel like it, it's held up. And, but for me, it just hasn't held up very well at all. I think on a personal level, but also on this level of like, yo, I don't, I don't need transgression. Like I need boredom. Yeah. Like I need stability. <laughs> Mary you Beth, know? did you, did you have a question uh, that you were going to ask before? Yeah. Well, I was going to ask Carrie, um, you know, you listen to melancholy pretty regularly. When was the last time you watched train spotting? Um, and like, had you just not seen it and maybe just rewatched it just for this discussion? No, I, so I, I wanted to rewatch, I thought about rewatching it, but honestly, the baby scene, yeah. I just, right. I couldn't yeah. do that. You know, that stuck with me. Like that's I, from when I was so 14, like up. that just, it's so fucked up. And I read something that was like, um, if this movie had been made by like, by Americans, like that scene never would have gotten in. You know, it, like that that would have been left on the cutting room floor. And, well, you know, the, the movie, like the adaption is, you know, basically took like a book of short stories and like put it together into a coherent narrative around Renton. Um, so it's, you know, it could have easily probably been taken out, but I couldn't rewatch it because of that. But I didn't, I didn't rewatch it for this. I rewatched selected scenes that yeah. I like Spud's job interview, like things, things that like stayed with yeah. me in like sort of a, a positive yeah. or like more lighthearted way. Um, listening to Renton's monologue over and over again, you know, at the beginning of, of the film, <laughs> yeah. like just really took me back. Um, I don't remember the last time I watched Train Spotting. 
I, I know I watched it at some point with my husband when we first started dating. So maybe 12 years ago. And we didn't have any, um, we didn't have any interest in seeing the sequel or anything like that. Like the sequel oh, passed man. right by. I saw the sequel. I don't know if any of you saw I, it. I, but... I don't think I did. Yeah. I did. It's like one of those movies where you're like looking at it and you're like, yeah, I get it. And like all the parts are there, sure. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, I mean, as as transgression for transgression's sake was like the spirit of the first one, the second one definitely had that same like, oh yeah, I've been through some shit. But it's also just like, I don't really feel like going through any more shit, man. Like we're we're good. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I don't, I didn't rewatch it. I rewatched um, Pain Spotting for this episode, and I considered okay. watching this sequel again just because. But also, it's like, I'm good, man. I'm good. I remember yeah. watching it when yeah. it came out and being like, yeah, it's fine. Like, I didn't really yeah, it care. Got, it got really bad reviews, too, if I remember yeah. right. Yeah. I hadn't I hadn't watched Train Spotting since college, and I went in, like, pretty Dang. excited, thinking, like, oh, man, Train Spotting, classic. You know, this is mm-hmm. some real 90s cinema. It's going to be a blast from the past. Spend some time with my man, Danny Boyle. It's going to be so good. <laughs> and about midway through, I texted Josh. I think I don't like train spotting. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I had nothing but positive memories of it. And I was so worried coming into recording. I'm like, Carrie's going to be gushing about how much this meant to her. And I'm going to be like, I don't know. I think it kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> no, I kind of wish I had picked speed. <laughs> like, you know, I, like, I, I, like, I was like, oh, this is going to get so dark because I'm going to go in there and tell them, yeah, this is like, I hate this movie now. But I, I yeah, yeah I, I can't even look at it. Yeah, but it makes me feel better that we're on the same page. I'm glad everyone. I'm also on the same page. I rewatched it this weekend. This weekend, yeah, for the first time since college, Mm -hmm. and had the same experience as Liam. I almost texted Carrie. I mean, I want. I want to be. I want to be clear too. Like, this is not. It's not a technical issue. Like, the performances are fucking magical. Like, it's it's next level amazing mm-hmm. acting and i would even say a lot of the editing and directorial choices mm-hmm. are really good uh yeah. but but the content needed an editor or it needed a spin or it needed something because yeah. in 2021 it comes across so cynical it's almost like self-assured like oh my god look how crazy it is to be on heroin it's so crazy like do people <laughs> do other people even matter like i don't know who yeah. cares and like that just doesn't fucking jive anymore and, and, and i'm amazed it, it did then i mean i saw this in college i was a straight edge kid i should not have thought this was cool but i did mm-hmm. i thought it was cool and oh, yeah. now <laughs> watching it i'm like was it the narcissism i thought was cool was it the uh, you know the the jokes about poop was it the poop jokes like i just don't i don't know what it was that seemed so fucking like like cool like it, it felt like one of the coolest things i'd ever seen and yeah. now i don't understand I, why i agree i, agree. I had I the same exact experience same exact same, experience yeah i i chalked it up to like me being incredibly naive because like similar mm-hmm. to what carrie was saying like you know i think that movie hinted at this like cosmopolitan like type of life that was full of creativity and danger and the glamour of drugs and holy Mm -hmm. shit it must be so exciting to like be an adult and be out there but like the reality of watching that film and especially like re-watching it as an older human um instead of a younger human was just really a sharp focus on the very heavy reality of addiction and despair and Mm -hmm. uh hard to 
process and the dead baby scene in the crib is just beyond horrifying i like physically reacted to watching that scene yeah Um, i mean i've thought you know i i a lot of my friends who have kids have talked about getting more sensitive to that stuff and you know the year i had my daughter i went to a horror fest and watched a movie that (laughs) that ended in a woman eating her own baby so like like (laughs) clearly i've been itching for punishment but i'll tell you what that movie which i won't even say which one it is because i don't want to spoil it in case anyone watches the movie but but uh but that movie (laughs) that movie was less upsetting than the dead baby scene in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? And and that was meant to be upsetting. I think part of the issue here is the 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 moment the baby shows up, it's like Chekhov's fucking gun. Like you know yeah. this isn't yeah. going to work out. And so yep. I think what's meant to be menacing in a way, mm-hmm. it almost feels weirdly ironic. And that feels inappropriate. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I don't think that's what's intended. I think it's one of the few big missteps of the movie is the is the way the baby thing is handled and i get why it's like the movie's really trying to unapologetically show you certain things but it's done with so much style the idea of like well it doesn't glam i mean how could it glamorize heroin usage he, he crawls into a shitty toilet well because yeah. it looks so cool and everything about it is cool exactly you, you can't help but feel like it's glamorizing it in a way that's about like it'd be kind of like if if me and josh made a movie about philadelphia Inevitably, the movie would have all the things about Philadelphia that fucking suck, but yeah. but it would still feel tinged with our love for the city. Yeah, there, there's something about like the shot and like the way it's shot and like the color and the right beautiful yeah. grittiness and the music that sound like to take it back mm-hmm. to that soundtrack. I yeah. think all of that goes into making it seem very glamorous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. also making it this weird canonized experience of film, right? Like yeah. that, right. like yeah, that was so cool. But yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I had the same reaction. Like upon rewatch, I still definitely resonated with certain things. Like I really still like the sick boy character. I still think that's yeah. like charming and yeah. all like the weird ways, you know. And um, but like it's funny watching the reactions of the parents. Like when Renton goes into when he kicks at the end of the movie and his parents are trying to help him. So they lock him in the room, that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like it's funny to resonate now with the parents as opposed to like, yeah. not that I ever could relate to any of the other characters in the movie, but in that sequence in particular, I definitely was like, yo man, I know what that looks like in real life. Like I've seen yeah. people go through that and it's fucked up, man. Like that's horrible. And um, yeah, yeah, there's no more romance to it now watching it as an adult you know what i mean like there's no more i think yeah that's that's for sure what it is i think it's worth mentioning too that at the time there weren't a lot of popular media that acknowledged uh the aids crisis and so this film having it be being part of the narrative it was probably at the time pretty revolutionary and pretty important watching it now i've seen so many better handlings of that Mm -hmm. that it it comes across so so crass but i I know that uh you know some of the things that don't work now are the movie's fault that's one of the things Mm -hmm. that it's almost not their fault i don't know that they could have at the time done more around that issue but Mm -hmm. it's been handled so much better since then that those parts of the movie felt too light or too soft or you know what i mean like it didn't have the weight that it needed definitely definitely. i think one of the interesting things that i read about this movie on upon rewatch was um danny boyle was explaining the bigby character 
And he was saying that um, the reason he's so violent is because he was a closeted homosexual that's afraid he's going to be found out. So that's how he was written for the movie. And that's how Robert Carlyle played him with that understanding. It's nothing that I picked up upon watching it the first time. Mm-mm, watching it no. this time, I definitely was like, oh, yeah, I totally get that. Yeah, I see that in this character. And I thought that was an interesting layer to an otherwise uh, difficult movie to watch. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, I definitely didn't pick up on that. And I'm not, certainly not at 14, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah. Man. But, <laughs> I mean, Ooh. I still like the soundtrack. It's still a good movie. What are you going to do? Like, okay, not a good movie, but it's still like one of those. I guess it's because of that that place in our past where this movie mm-hmm. came in the first time that I'll still think about it as like kindly. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I'll I think you. back on it and be like, oh, yeah, you know, that was. That was a time I, I remember that. I think of it as like a like just a piece of culture in the mm-hmm. time of like you know I think what Carrie was saying the like late nineties early aught like Brit pop explosion and mm-hmm. like I think about going to Sorted and like dancing mm-hmm. to Common People uh, that yeah. that kind of stuff is fun you know it's like mm-hmm. fun yeah. that part that's fun memories coming from a not so fun film. Well, yeah. I think I think it does capture a moment when a narrative about someone who essentially chooses himself over everyone else around him um, resonated because there was something at the time that felt kind of rebellious about that. That felt yeah. kind of like unique and sexy. And and I remember hearing stories of people making those decisions and my attitude about it at the time because. Uh, you guys don't know this that much about me, but Josh does know that like when this was cool, I was like a, a youth groupie Jesus kid, you know? Mm-hmm. The reason I thought that wasn't cool was because of that, not like basic humanity. You know, like okay. I, in reality, any human watching this should be like, man, this dude fucking sucks. But in my yeah. mind, it was like, well, you know, if he had the light of the Lord in his life, he wouldn't make all these <laughs> selfish decisions. Because yeah. in my mind, that's what normal people did. They made these yeah. kinds of decisions. And now watching it, I'm like, no, that's not true. Most people don't act like this, actually. Yeah. Most people, they can be selfish when pushed far enough. But mm-hmm. at this basic level, I mean, he makes some ridiculous decisions. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. I think that... Uh, I think that it's I you know it's watching it now that I'm like oh wait this isn't like just in my mind this is how cool people who weren't me lived like that mm-hmm. this is what every <laughs> yeah. urban person was like and now I'm like no hopefully not because god damn it what the fuck so yeah. I, it, it kind of makes the whole the whole Gen X vibe of I don't really trust anyone but myself mm-hmm. it, suddenly yeah. that vibe makes more sense watching this movie like <laughs> Jesus this is one of the movies that define a Gen generation and holy fuck i wouldn't trust anybody either um i kind of want to move on to clue no offense to to this but um, i just i just feel like clue is still a fucking magic trick to me so but i I think it's suffice to say like i I don't want to bum out anyone who still loves train spotting but it just doesn't work for me in 2021 it just isn't my vibe uh clue I knew that I loved Clue, but I went in thinking there was going to be something about it I didn't think was cool anymore. And that didn't really happen. And in fact, I found myself laughing the whole time. Mary Beth, talk about how Clue was for you then and how Clue is for you now. Um, 
Yeah. So th- it, I, I love the combo because it is quite the jump from heroin to a movie based on a classic board game. Um, but, uh, yeah, I started watching Clue in like freshman in high school with my friends we would watch and rewatch, and you know premise the six strangers are invited to the creepy huge old man mansion for this dinner party and all-star cast right you get to meet all of these people and they're of course based on the board game um itself so you meet colonel mustard and mrs white and mrs peacock and so on and so forth um the exciting thing is that when the seventh guest arrived, it's Mr. Body, which if you're me, you're stoked because played by legendary Lee Ving, which is extra yes. cool because 14-year-old yeah. okay. me, you know, definitely thought punk rock was the best. I mean, 41-year-old me still thinks that, um, but <laughs> stoked on that. And like, also like, you know, Jane from the Go-Go's is in there and the Go-Go's yeah. were punk rock, you know, um, and there's that germs connection there. So I'm really into this at that age and really excited so mr body shows up we learn they're being blackmailed the weapons are given out um and it's like this whole whodunit which is just so fun and i think like some things that were appealing you know beyond the cast to me some things were appealing it's like the the like fast paced like his girl Friday type snappy lines in dialogue, um, yeah. You know, like I love that. I actually think that's like a a connection maybe between Train Spotting and Clue. There's like kind of a lyricism to the dialogue in both of those films. Granted, it's very different, uh, a very different kind of lyricism, <laughs> yeah. but but it's still there. Um, and Clue is just. It's so super quotable. Um, I'm probably insufferable to watch that movie with because I quote (laughs) most of it. Um, But it had this like really kitschy, like retro throwback that in high school I totally thought was great. Um, And I don't know. uh, What else could I say about it? Like one of the things I guess I might think about in terms of the movie and it being just kind of fun where the like the different endings and I think at the you know at the end of the the film you see like these these three different scenarios play out and while I did not go see it in theaters in 1985 because I was five years old um but what I did learn is that it depending on the theater it had like a different ending so like the whodunit played out differently depending on like what theater you saw it at I think a marketing that was like a marketing yeah in the seats which by the way clearly did not work because it did not make enough back to cover its budget at all um at this point i, I read have, that i read that the contention was that people would see it three times that they thought so, going in if they had three multiple endings people would go pay for it two more times after the first time that's what they just wanted. to see if they get different ending yeah yeah that's but I, I crazy i don't think it played out that way that's the dumbest <laughs> but most extraordinary thing i've ever heard like that sounds that sounds amazing. I might have been the person that went to see it through. Like I would have done that. I wish I would have gone. I totally I would have done gone. that. Carrie and I would have gone together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like. I have lost track the number of times I have watched that film. I have watched it probably a ton, even uh, in 2020 and even 2021. This is something um, <laughs> I hadn't seen. Train spotting probably since college, but 
clue I ha- has like stuck with me um, and thinking about it, especially in connection with adolescentia is that um, I don't know, there's like some sort of feminist, like right girl, like thing going on here for me. Um, you know, like when I was that, when I was 14 and, you know, when I was a kid and um, I don't know, I was very much told, you know, you have to follow this, like the path, like this mainstream life path. Like, um, one day I would find a man and get married and have kids and be a homemaker. And I, I don't know, this is, this is a, nothing against that path. It's a lovely path, but, um, it's not one I wanted forced upon myself. So I actually think a cool thing about Clue is like, if you're thinking about Clue and maybe some of the gender stuff going on Ooh. in Clue, um, if you're like 14 and you're being told you really need a husband and this is a requirement that you get this thing one day, mm-hmm. um, and then you meet the character of Mrs. White, um, who, if you don't know, um, has been quoted <coughs> as saying, uh, husbands are soft, strong, and disposable. Um, and <laughs> husbands. Um, that was actually kind of a big deal for somebody who was told they needed a husband, like mm-hmm. as a requirement for life. Um, mm-hmm. So, so to be able to, you know, say, oh, you know what, husbands should be disposable. Sorry um, to the rest. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, even I don't care. I've accepted it. Yeah, totally it's fine. totally cool. Even with Mrs. Peacock, you know, she's totally running the show. She And mm-hmm. while she happens to be running it in a very devious manner, like, she's totally up to no good. She was really the brains behind her politician mm-hmm. husband, St. Yep. Miss Scarlet, like, running her own goddamn business. You know, the movie is full of these yeah. women who are super in charge and making it happen. And I kind of love it. And comparatively, the men are a little bit more feeble, you know? They're, yeah. like... Yeah. quickly taken out with a jiggle of Yvette's breasts mm-hmm. um, with exception for, of Mr. Green of course sure. um, but I, I don't I think I like just really kind of at that time appreciated when things maybe went off the path off the prescribed path in any way and I think mm-hmm. any of us who are interested or invested in life beyond like the dominant paradigm or a mass culture that really spoke mm-hmm. to me um maybe that kind of connects to Renton when he says, you know, he chooses something else, yeah. but I don't know. It seemed like a cult film. I thought that was really cool. It seemed like people thought it was weird. I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably associated it with the counterculture and like Tim Curry. Cause at that time mm-hmm. I bet I also watched the Rocky Horror picture show. Play at midnight. And like, it's just really fun. And for me, and for me, legend as well. I was like, man, when I saw Clue, I was like, this guy is so weird. Like, because literally, (laughs) I knew Tim Curry from Rocky Horror, Legend, and Clue. Mm -hmm. That is the weirdest resume I could imagine. So good, though. I love it. Oh, my God. So good. I also want to point out that Miss Scarlet is not Susan Sarandon as Josh thought it was. Yeah, no, my entire life, I thought that was Susan Sarandon. Leslie Until and Warren it for does look yeah. a little bit like Susan Sarandon. Mm-hmm. And they have the same birthday. Just say Same exact <laughs> birthday. My friend, our friend oh. and friend of the show, Kylie, told us, told me, yeah, they have the same birthday. Because she, oh. she thought it was Susan Sarandon also. Just saying. Y'all are crazy. Perhaps. Perhaps. But we're crazy together, Liam. So <laughs> call it your boy. But uh, dude, this movie is so fun. And it's funny because, like, keeping with, like, the whole Britpop persona of Trainspotting, mm-hmm. I got to say, 
Tim Curry is a British icon to my adolescent mind. Yes. yes. 100%. Like that totally. dude is the epitome of the smarmy, like, like the, <laughs> the, the mm-hmm. very thing that I love about Jarvis Cocker, I love about Tim Curry mm-hmm. in this movie yes. specifically. Totally. It's so good. It's so funny. And um, yeah, the, it, the other thing that's funny about the last episode that we did is that Colleen Camp is also the the uh, the person who played Yvette in this movie is also yeah. in Wayne's World. Oh yeah, <laughs> she, I plays, she plays Mrs. Vanderhoff. It's such a funny like thing to do these two back to back. But um, yeah. yeah, man, dude, I Martin Mull's in this movie. I know. What and you know what is shit? funny? Martin Mull and Tim Curry both end up in Roseanne. I mean, television show. <laughs> But like Tim Curry's no character in Roseanne is also like this smarmy dude, um, so it's totally uh, on brand there. But Martin Mull, this so all-star good. cast. Yeah, it re- no, it really is, and they work together just beautifully. The chemistry is unbelievable. I mean, it was crazy rewatching this film. The only moment I feel like gets a little slow is when they first split up to start looking, but it's only mm-hmm. like two minutes, and then pretty soon the jokes start to hit again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's and not only that, that whole ending, like you said, the fast talkingness of it all, but the idea that like the ending is ridiculous, and then they do it two more times, and it's I'm with it the whole time. Like like at no point am I like we're doing this again. I'm like yeah, what's what's the other option? Show me the other option. Like I'm so stoked watching it. I just can't believe that's still true. Like I, I get that when I was a kid, I probably saw this first when I was like eight or nine. Honestly, like I was probably a kid kid when I first saw it. But uh, I'm still excited. I really expected to, to feel nostalgia, but not pure enjoyment. And I felt totally pure enjoyment at this thing. Like every moment I was like, ha ha, oh right, this part. You know, like it was really fun. Um, a couple of things I wanted to point out. One, I love that all th- in all three endings, um, communism was a red herring. Oh uh, yeah. For my for, for my taste, that basically describes all of the 80s, that communism yeah. is a red herring. You know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, I, <laughs> um, but I wanted to I wanted to ask people uh, what is your favorite of the of the endings? Do you have a favorite of the endings uh, that are presented? That's that's such a good question. Oh my god! I I, I like my preference. My mine's the last one. Is it <laughs> where everybody killed somebody? Yeah. Well, I yeah. mean. Mine's informed with my love for Tim Curry. So Tim Curry being the actual agent that does all the stuff, I love that. Yeah, that's my shit. But I can and see he, how the last one's really fun too, though. His Tim Curry and Miss Scarlet going back and forth with the bullets too is just delightful. One plus two uh, plus one. Yep, yep. Um, so good. That's. I get you. I, I just I have to I, I like the final ending where everybody I, I just felt like you could see their issues developing throughout the entirety of the film and they all go after like the person who had kind of snitched on them or to Mr. Body or connected them to Mr. Body and just tied it up kind of nicely. Uh, it is so good. What do you guys think about the Mike McKean joke, like the gay joke that's throughout the entire movie? That's the thing about that last ending where he's like, I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. It's like, it's like the one note in the entire movie that still like hits kind of funny to me just mm-hmm. because it's like, yeah. really like that's where we're going. But then when you consider that this movie takes place in 1954 and 54. he's a government. Yeah. And he's a government employee. And at that time, homosexuality was completely like, like criminalized. Yeah. 
it's like okay all right i can see that being a note in the story that's not like super offensive but it still hits kind of funny did you guys feel that too or i can see pausing on that totally totally especially watching it now but i think yeah it doesn't bother me you know like i don't pause on it very long because of the you know taking in the historical context of it being 1954 and him being you know kind of just like what just josh said it's like Mm -hmm. okay i got i get it yeah uh it didn't feel pejorative, but it still just like hits funny. Maybe because me and Liam are relatively yeah. sensitive to this kind of thing, where we, yeah. we like you know feel yeah. we feel these things, right? Like it's it's one of the things that makes Cinepunk Cinepunks in my mind. That like mm-hmm. you know as we look through these things, we try not to make excuses, you know, and we try to be like, yeah, that's fucked up. But yeah. um, yeah. I don't know. It also it set off it it set off a flag. Not gonna lie. I, but also, I, I'm I gonna like, I'm gonna yeah. go ahead. I'm gonna go ahead and say I I don't think it's an issue. Partly because. Um, in that, in that ending, he's kind of the hero, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like he's kind of the winner, you know, but I, I do think you're right. Like, especially because when it's said, there's sort of an idea of like, um, of maybe like a bit of McCarthyism. And that was a big thing mm-hmm. during the McCarthy era is that they came down as hard on, um, homosexuality as they did on, uh, folks who might yeah. be communists like there was this real yeah. idea that if you were gay you were a liability to the government and so including that is an interesting choice uh, you know plus I mean I also think at some level you you take it on the scale of what was happening at the time and yeah. this is probably the only comedy that came out that year that wasn't fucking shock full of gay panic. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I just feel like every comedy from that, that time period was just, they had really turned the clock back. Like, and it's easy to look back and go, well, we just didn't know any better, but actually there were like respected gay characters on TV in the seventies. And, and what happened in the eighties is we really turned the clock fucking backwards Mm -hmm. and, and reintroduced a bunch of, 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 of hatefulness and heteronormativity into the dialogue and so uh you know i i agree like i did think like oh great the plant versus fruit joke was like kind of cornball but i don't know i didn't it didn't feel like gross gross it didn't feel like you know fuck this guy gross which like you know a lot of stuff from that time period really does it does yeah and i think that that's part and parcel of nostalgia generally is just going back and like you're gonna have those moments where you just wince you know like that i think that's just part of like a like an exercise in nostalgia i mean because these things are so of their time you know it's i mean yeah it's it's completely problematic but and not but and it's also a product of a period of time that was less informed less sensitive less empathetic and so the fact that it makes us wince is probably a good thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know it means that we've moved forward yeah you know, Carrie, I didn't think you got a chance to say what your favorite ending was. I didn't. Oh. Uh, okay, so here's my problem with Clue. Everybody, you guys are gonna hate me. Oh. Um, I didn't see Clue until I was 33 years old. Oh no! Wow. Okay. Um. So yeah. So at 33, watching a movie that's based on a board game <laughs> is not as cool as. <laughs> To be fair, possibly the best movie based on a board game that's ever existed. Okay, so I mean, I like, I wish, I wish I loved it the way you guys love it. It, And I watched it, and I was like, "This is funny." It's a movie based on a board game, (laughs) and like, you know, 
I don't know. But then again, like my, my pick was train spotting. So I mean, you know, I don't, I don't really have, what do I, mean, I have to I mean, say at this look, point? Right. Look, the real question here, is it better than battleship? The other uh, movie based on a board game. Uh, <laughs> Wait, the one with John Travolta. Was John no, Travolta in battleship? Yeah. Rihanna no, I'm was thinking in battleship. Of what am I thinking about? I don't know. John Travolta was in a battle movie. <laughs> yes, he was. And he I mean, had like other full than makeup oh, and like, you're thinking long... about battleship earth. Yes, that's oh, what I'm thinking no. of. My apologies. I just no. Agree. That's based that's off. The, that's based off a cult movie. Oh, that's yeah. okay. yeah, that's oh right, movie. right. I get those two things confused. Game board. <laughs> right, right. Under, understandably, um, understandably. No, I. Yeah, so it didn't. No, it didn't work seen... for you. You didn't feel the same yeah. amount of joy as we felt. Is what you're I trying didn't, to say? No, and I watched it with a bunch of friends who absolutely loved it from when they were kids, including my husband, and they were like angry with me when I was oh, like, no. they were like, did you love it? And I was like, eh, it's oh, a movie based no. on a board game. I don't know. Wow. So, so sorry guys. No, but, I, dude, I'm sorry that they got that point though. That brings up the amazing concept then is, is it not a good movie? Is it just the, the connection to the adolescent viewing? No, I don't want to ruin it for you. Like, I don't want to ruin no, it. No, you're not ruining it, but Josh, I did Josh, think while I was watching it, like, I yeah. wonder what a fresh eye on this would be thinking. Yeah. Josh, it's, it's, it's not us. It's a board game. That's what a fresh eye is. Josh, it's not us. It's the children who are wrong. Noted. Noted. I, I like, want to argue, you know, of course, because I love it so much, but, like, that it is really great, and I wouldn't have spent so much time with it over the years if I didn't, if it wasn't a wonderful film but i i'm just i can't help but think like did you read um this is from years back but hunger makes me a modern girl carrie brownstein's uh yeah. book yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so in like part of that she's talking about like making album recommendations to her friends and she's like oh my god this is like the best thing you've ever heard you have to listen to it and then the person listening to it and being like Meh, it's <laughs> It's a movie based on a board game. Yeah. But, but like, you know, and like there's something about that, like you need to meet these media texts, be them films or books, like at the the right place at the right time for them to yeah. really like come yeah. into their mm-hmm. own. And I'm just feeling that really heavily in this conversation here. But as I a mean, person who hosted a Clue dinner party. Sure. Um, I, you know, I might oh, not be wow. one. To, I might but not I, be one to talk here. I do. But I do I think love this. That that's what it brings out in like Mary Beth and like you guys. Like yeah. I just like I love. I guess I like I love it for that. I mean, I know? do think there's a music corollary here because Josh classically is that uh, older hip hop fan who uh, just thinks that hip hop has ended, and the idea that yeah. like. Yeah. That, that the idea that if he played Last Emperor for a 22 year old and they just looked at him like he was a crazy person, like they're broken. Josh isn't wrong. <laughs> they're they're broken. Yeah. And like that's just the the reality is like um, I was just thinking about that when you're talking about the the recommended music. Like there, mm-hmm. there's just certain things that like you return to and you're surprised because they hold up and they still bring yeah. you joy. But that doesn't mean they're going to have the same resonance in a new way. Like when I hear like some of the, some of the hardcore I liked when I first got into punk and hardcore mm-hmm. is like 
the least intelligent music possible. It's literally music <laughs> written to beat people up to. That's yeah. that's the the yeah. entire point of the music. So when I hear some of that and it still works for me, I'm overjoyed. I can't believe it. Wow, this is actually still pretty good. But I know that if I played that for someone who has no context, they wouldn't be like, you're right, this is much better than the Beatles. Like that's not, <laughs> you know, no, I, I, can't, I can't play the E-Town Concrete demo for somebody and they're going to be like, fuck Bruce Springsteen this is my new thing you know like that's just not how it is so like in the same way I I think Clue is amazing for a lot of people because they return to it thinking I must have been wrong the same way I was wrong about this that or the other but I would compare this more to say something like The Secret of Nim a movie that like was like the bible to me when I was a child and when I rewatched it I was amazed it held up but if I showed it to my four-year-old daughter and she was bummed on it I don't think I would I don't think I would be hurt because it's just not her vibe. You know, it's certainly not the My Little Pony movie, which for her is the greatest achievement of cinema. You know, so (laughs) she kind of likes Raya and the Last Dragon, too. That's she likes that one, too. Okay, We still have to get to that. I haven't seen it. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Anyways. um, But but I will say for the three of us as people who loved it when we were younger, I do think Mm -hmm. there's something to say, though, like it held up because like, I don't know if y'all have had this experience as much as I had a lot of things that I thought were gold standard things are actually bad. Like just like they don't like uh, whether it's Eddie Murphy's the golden child or um, the second Highlander movie or uh, you know, uh, any number of things that at the time I thought were like, this is so this, this shit is great. And now I'm like, Oh God, Oh no! Uh, yeah, and, and no go ahead, Jeff. Totally, my relationship to Morrissey's "Your Arsenal" it has sure. a song on there called "The National Front Disco." At the time, I was like, "This is amazing!" And now that he's a racist and everything, and I'm like, "That song was on there in '94, sir." Right, right. And it's it's mm, sweet mm. baby Jesus. Yeah, it's yeah. hard. It's hard. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I. I <laughs> I want to. Res- Go ahead. I was just thinking of current day Billy Corgan, which is. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh huh. Oh, you had to go there, Mary Beth. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really yeah. sorry. I'm really sorry, but uh, I should leave this to Carrie. But the modern, you know, talk of modern Morrissey is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sadly, no, yeah, modern uh, in so many ways. Yeah, no, modern Billy Corgan isn't isn't much better. He might be a little worse because he also has a WWE ownership stake or I don't know some cheesy shit like that um and he's also like kind of like a weird sort of right wing I don't know he ha- he's not as explicit in his beliefs as Morrissey is but it's you know it's there and it just I don't know it makes it just disappoints me it it really yeah 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 so I don't like the stone, the stone roses are doing all that shit now too it's like come yeah. on guys just shut the fuck oh, up and fade yeah. into the background you assholes well but I you mean- know what though we still got Billy. We still got Billy Bragg. Sure. Yes. And I will ride or fucking die for that man, and he yes. will never disappoint me. I mean, oh, I, I, yeah. I, I mean, how many British celebrities have come out in defense of J.K. Rowling? You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah. It, oh. it feels like every week someone yeah. who I love is like, I don't know, she doesn't seem so bad, and I'm like, what the fuck? Just oh. stop. Just stop yeah. talking, y'all. Mm-hmm. Uh, agreed. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Hundred well, percent. Yeah. I, I feel like we've probably talked longer about Clue than 
anyone has talked about Clue <laughs> in the past, like whatever years, thirty years. So uh, I want to I want to wrap up. I did want to say, like, if anyone has any final thoughts, I, I you know, just the idea, y- y- Carrie, you made the joke about this being a movie based on a board game, uh, and and I think that's very fair. But it is true. Like, I can't name a single other film based on a toy let alone a board game i enjoy as much as this movie and i think that in and of itself is at least some kind of accomplishment that like a movie based on clue should be unwatchable has anyone tried to watch the garbage pail kids movie that's what this should be and it's not it's actually pretty good wait have you seen there's a documentary on the garbage pail kids right sure yeah have you seen that no i have not i have not watched it I i do want to though it's on my the list. The movie is abysmal. Yeah, I have the movie on Blu-ray. If anybody wants to borrow it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I'll get back to you after I watch yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's. I I want to um I want to honor everyone's time and wrap up. Uh, do y'all want to uh, do some plugging here about how people can find the project, how maybe they could participate, anything else like if you want to plug your own social media or more th- projects you have coming up, whatever it is you want to you want to plug to our audience, please do so now. Yeah, um, yeah uh, we are very hopeful that people visit adolescentiaproject.com. You can check out uh, all about Adolescentia. And also, if you head over to our Instagram account, at Adolescentia underscore, um, you can check out all of the entries we're posting. And, of course, we have a couple coming up that are Cinepunks-specific. Um, yeah, there you can find the link on how to submit your own album yep. that you absolutely loved uh, when you were 14 so please do please share your stories with us and Carrie anything you want to add (laughs) no I you know we we get so excited every time we get a submission so if there's an album that you want to write a love letter to from when you were 14 and you want to write a love letter to your 14 year old self please um you know go to at adolescentia underscore or adolescentiaproject.com and you'll find the submission form there and and go on and, and fill it out if it brings you joy. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys so much yeah. for being guests on yeah. our show. You guys oh, are so cool and so charming and so fun to talk to. Thank you so much for having us. Super fun. Oh, thank you for having us. This is awesome. We appreciate you. Yeah. And and uh thank thank you for helping me realize that train spotting is a bad movie. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> I'm glad to I'm glad to have turned the corner on that and I now I can move on and uh, yeah. we can all move on. You're I can really focus on 28 Days Later as the true Danny Boyle film <laughs> worth caring about. Fair enough. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, all right. Josh, what do we want to say before we wrap up here? Uh, we want to say thanks to everybody who listened. Always rate, review, and subscribe because it's the currency that means stuff to podcasters like ourselves. And um, thank you for uh, being a part of the Cinepunk story. It's pretty fun. I find think us, you'll agree. Go ahead and find us on social media. It's C-I-N-E-P-O-N-X on all platforms. Check out our Patreon uh, if you haven't already. Um, we're going to have some new things going up there, including some music commentary from our man, Justin Lohr. Uh, he's covering some of the songs that helped shape him, uh, and it's pretty good stuff. So uh, if you're on the Patreon, look forward to that. And if you're not, uh, there's all kinds of levels you can support us at. Uh, we also have a Facebook group if you want to encourage some discussion 
discussion about some of the things covered by various shows on the network, go ahead and uh, check it out. Uh, it's just the Cinepunks Fun Time Hangout Group. It's pretty easy to find. It's an open group, uh, and we just ask that people be respectful when they're in there. And so far, they all have been. Uh, all that to say, thanks for listening. Tell a friend. Buy a T-shirt. You're great. Thank you. And we're done. Smoke bomb. Don't talk. Just listen. Under the black sun, there is no hope. Only mystery, wonder, and danger. Black Sun Dispatches on the Cinefunks Podcast Network.